I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. FM News 101. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show and welcome to Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And while I sometimes arrive on the Radio Northwest Network at Conspiracy Theory Thursday and I don't have a good one of my own, I've got a dandy one today. I mean, one that was even hard for me to believe. So I want to get into that. But first, you're invited to the conversation. If you want to take part, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the list at uh, 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And I'd love it if you vote in our X poll. We put up a brand new question on X, used to be Twitter. And uh, every day, this one was actually suggested, and I'll give full credit, to Old Sarge Trucking. Now, that's Robert, but he goes by Old Sarge uh, because he served in the military, and thanks for that, Robert. But he said, Lars, you know, are, are you going to tell me that the state of Washington is going to ban me from idling my truck when I need to? Now, let me get into the rest of his note in a moment, but let me tell you first what I'm talking about. Substitute Senate Bill 6304. Currently being heard in Olympia, it's on second reading, which means it's making progress through the committee, not that that's a good thing. So I'd ask the question this way. Should states ban trucks from idling? Now, here's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about red lights. I'm not talking about stopping at a stop sign. I'm talking about when the trucker pulls in and he needs to idle his truck for a period of time uh, because it's the middle of the day and it's hot or because it's the middle of the night and it's cold. And he has to keep that truck idling. If he doesn't have auxiliary power on board, and some trucks do, they have a little auxiliary generator that runs off the diesel tank. But if you just got a regular truck with a sleeper and you want to take your mandatory 10-hour DOT break, as Robert points out, you're not going to be allowed to idle your truck. No air conditioning in the summer, no heat in the wintertime, no cooking in the truck, which means then the trucker has to find a restaurant that he can actually afford and one where he can park his truck. And he points out this is crazy. 
Now, the environmental lunatics have said, we, we want to stop trucks from idling. And if you say, well, how much idling, Lars? Five minutes is what you'll be allowed under House, uh, Senate Bill 6304. Five minutes, anything more than that, and you will incur a fine of between $300 and $1,000. So, should states ban the idling of commercial trucks? I would answer that one, no. They should not. You can answer any way you like. You'll find the question on X at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com and brought to you, ironically enough, by uh, Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. But as Robert writes, Lars, I'm a semi-truck driver. I live and I work in Washington State. This is going to hurt me and every trucker in the state. No heat or air conditioning while parked for my ten mandatory 10-hour DOT break. I've got friends with pets with them. They're going to suffer. That means no cooking in the truck. I mean, no power, no cooking. That means trying to find a restaurant I can park by, including overfilled truck stops. And he says our fuel and exhaust systems are clean enough you can breathe what comes out of the exhaust pipe. But under this bill... Any person who owns or operates or is in charge of a diesel-fueled commercial motor vehicle will be prohibited from allowing the vehicle to idle for more than five consecutive minutes at any location. And they're going to have even tougher rules if you have an auxiliary power unit on that truck. This is the kind of insanity that they're tackling in Olympia and Salem while their states, both of them, Oregon and Washington, have much bigger problems. But speaking of that, we all know what a disaster the legalization of hard drugs has been. And there are powerful forces out there that are fighting to make sure no legal penalties are imposed. And if you say, well, we don't want to send drug addicts to prison. We haven't been sending drug addicts to prison. What we have been doing up to the passage of Measure uh, 110 is saying, if you want a felony, We'll be glad to convict you of a felony if you're caught with drugs. If you'd rather have treatment and have the felony wiped out, we'll do that for you. That was a system that worked well for literally decades. It ended about two years ago when Measure 110 was passed. 58% of the voters said yes to it. It was not a good idea. Well, guess what? One of those powerful groups of people that is trying to make sure that the current legislature, and I'm not exaggerating, does nothing about Measure 110. Absolutely nothing. Does not recriminalize hard drugs at all. Not even a C misdemeanor. You know who heads up that group? Her name is Megan Flynn, and she is the Chief Justice of the Oregon Supreme Court. She sent a letter. It wasn't made public until the Capitol Chronicle got its hands on it. The letter was sent to the two top Democrats who head the committee that is considering bringing back just a tiny, tiny, tiny little crime. Right now, if you get caught with hard drugs, you get a ticket. And you can throw the ticket away. You don't even have to pay the ticket. They're talking about making a C misdemeanor out of it, which is such a nothing crime I'm, I don't think it's going to actually do any good. Republicans would like to make it an A misdemeanor. At least with that, you could threaten the person with a year in jail and a misdemeanor <coughs> conviction, but you're not going to get a felony conviction. Well, guess what Megan Flynn decided to do? The Chief Justice of the Oregon Supreme Court wrote a letter, obtained and full credit to the Capitol Chronicle for getting this letter, an eight-page letter that says to lawmakers, this is a bad idea. Do not put any criminal penalties at all. Now, she doesn't say it in those words. What she says is, if you do this, 
Lots of bad things will happen. They say the state has a shortage of public defenders, which is hogwash because Oregon loves to give away free lawyers to everybody, even those people who are not required to get a lawyer under the Constitution. There are crimes for which you're entitled to a lawyer. There are a lot of cases that Oregon gives lawyers away. And then they say, now we're short of lawyers for all these criminal defendants. And then they say, literally in the letter, they say, the tendency of some defendants to skip court appearances. Well, you got to be kidding me. You mean that somebody who's addicted to fentanyl or meth or cocaine or heroin doesn't make his court appearances on time? Yeah, I know. I was shocked by that, too. So what Judge Megan Flynn, Justice Megan Flynn, says, when these people do not show up in court, that's called an FTA, a failure to appear. And the C misdemeanor crime is still there, but now... A bench warrant is issued for their arrest on the A misdemeanor of failure to appear. And they say, she says, this is going to fill up our jail cells. We're not going to have enough lawyers. We'll have all these charges of failure to appear. We'll have to lock all these people up in jail. In other words, at the end of the letter, you know what Megan Flynn wants. Megan Flynn, Chief Justice of the Oregon Supreme Court, wants the legislature to do nothing about the fentanyl pro problem. And I've told you. Last year, more than a 1,000 people in Oregon overdosed on fentanyl, and they died. A lot more overdosed on fentanyl and heroin and everything else, and they survived. But at great expense to them, at great expense to the public. And this year, we're on track to hit 1,300 fentanyl deaths. And Megan Flynn wants the legislature to do exactly nothing about it. Back in just a moment. Glad to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. How's that for a conspiracy? The Chief Justice, the highest sitting judge in the state of Oregon, wants us to do nothing about a problem that's killing four people a day. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. If you've been, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Ever wonder what a vegan actually is? They say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart, just like vegans. This is the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right, you know you got a right to say. 
This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the Daily Dead, Fish Rapper, or mainstream media bias. Well, this week, Governor Tina Kotek of Oregon celebrated federal approval to block off a massive chunk, hundreds of thousands of acres of Oregon Ocean for wind energy. Offshore wind, she says, is likely to play an important role in meeting our state's growing energy demand. That's a quote from her press release of yesterday. I got to tell you something. She either doesn't know what she's talking about or she's knowingly lying to you. It's not going to do anything to meet the region's energy demands, and I'll tell you why. The lie sinks like the Titanic when you look at what's happening right now off America's east coast. Four major energy, energy companies have proposed massive wind farms off five states in the North Atlantic. Then, then they found out how much it costs. BP, not exactly a stranger to the energy business, took a half billion dollar loss when it canceled its wind project and simply walked away. Eversource lost a third of a billion, $300 million. You'd think that the Danish would know something about the windmills, but when the wind giant Orsted canceled its wind farm off New Jersey, it took a more than $5 billion loss on the project. New York had promised that they would pay three times the usual rate for electricity from those windmills, and that still wasn't enough to make it pencil out. Electricity, for comparison purposes, electricity from natural gas costs $37 a megawatt. So assume you went out and built a brand spanking new natural gas powered electric generating plant. $37 a megawatt is what the power from that costs. But these energy giants figure it might take $190 a megawatt to make their windmills pencil out. Five times as much cost. No matter. Tina Kotek figures you won't mind when your power bill quadruples and the Congress has to shovel out billions of borrowed dollars for this breezy boondoggle. Now, about the election. Richard Six writes in from Tacoma, listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars, I just received our primary voter guide, and it contains three Republicans who dropped out of the race for the Republican presidential nomination. Is the state Republican Party, or are our Republican lawmakers in Olympia, going to have the Democrat Secretary of State take back this voter's guide and issue a correct one? Since this is the best of two primary, we can have voters drawing in away enough votes from Trump and possibly have only two Democrats on the November ballot. I hope that enough voters see through this obvious ploy. Can you imagine the howl if enough voters decided not to vote for Biden or Phillips and both Democrats were not going to be on the general ballot in November in Washington state? How many states have a best of two primary? Best regards, Richard Six in Tacoma. And regarding the claim of drug legalization fans that if a druggie gets a felony, it wrecks your life forever, Barbara wrote in to me and she offered this up. My daughter is celebrating 22 years clean and sober. She spent time in prison for a felony, but she turned her life around. She now has a six-figure job. She has a home. All the people she surrounds herself with are clean and sober. God has been good to her. Well, that's true. And our question of the day, 
Lawrence, have you noticed when it comes to the state's agenda of wildlife, it doesn't matter? Oh, you can't cut down those trees, the spotted owl will become endangered, and you can't let your cattle graze on that land, this newt or that insect might disappear. Oh, and you can't have an oil terminal, that might endanger the seabirds. All the things the state wants to control or get rid of. Well, let's take a look at windmills. We know that they kill thousands of birds and bats every year, but the state says that's okay. Now they want to put them off the Oregon coast, so what if it kills thousands of seabirds every year? Who cares? if it disrupts the whale migration with low frequency sounds this just shows that oregon leaders really don't care about the environment they care about their green agenda and the votes to keep them in power when will oregon wake up and say the emperor has no clothes signed janet and now today's daily grill insane are you completely insane ridiculous they get more and more ridiculous flat out dumb you're even dumber than i thought who deserves today's lars grill of the day maybe they're Find out right now. I want to give today's Daily Grill to Multnomah County. And why? Because Multnomah County is trying to make sure that the biggest, most populous county in the state of Oregon, it is second only in size to King County in Washington State in the Northwest, that it has no ambulance service at all. And why? Because they're in a major fight with a private ambulance provider, AMR, American Medical Response. Now, what's the basis of the dispute? Well, AMR says we can staff these ambulances with one paramedic and one emergency medical technician. We don't have the staff. We can't hire the staff to be able to put two paramedics on every single ambulance. And Multnomah County has said, well, we demand that you put two paramedics on, and if not, you're going to be out of business. Well, the entire system may collapse, and instead of having an ambulance with one paramedic and one EMT, you're going to end up with no ambulance whatsoever, and you're going to be on your own. Thanks to Multnomah County, they get the grill today. Today's best email, but you can always send more Abe writes in. Lars, I just heard you mention Biden's energy goals with respect to his Chinese handlers and steering our nation toward electricity only. Windmill technology, a buddy who just came back from pig hunting on private property near Livermore, California. Apparently the windmills are white elephants for the landowners. They take up a huge amount of space. They break down frequently, upon which they're abandoned by their leaseholders who won't come remove them. Sounds like there's nothing valuable to recycle since they're mostly plastic and very costly to remove. Well, I'll tell you, Abe, I understand that in every one of those windmill generators, you know, the ones that crank out a couple of megawatts of power, there's about $20,000 worth of copper wire in those generators. The problem is, the best estimates are, it costs thirty dollars or $40,000 to get the $20,000 worth of copper out of the box so you can recycle it. So there you have it. You've got $20,000 worth of good stuff, but it might cost you thirty dollars or $40,000 to get it out of the box. Just tell me how well that's going to pencil out. Let's go to Ron in Tacoma, listening on KVI and the Radio Northwest Network. Ron, what's on your mind on this Conspiracy Theory Thursday? Well, I want to reply to the truck idling that you were talking about. I see two big problems with it. Number one is the current science for 2024 has already debunked what the Democrats have been selling for the last 30 years. So the science is not matching up to what they're saying. True. So the second part of this is we have interstate commerce laws. Whatever happened to those? The, the, the truckers and anything interstate commerce was protected by its own laws so that lawmakers couldn't do this. So are we just now picking and choosing the laws that we're going to? Well, I, Ron, at the risk of defending, I'm not going to defend this anti-idling law. I think it's a stupid law, and I agree with the truckers. But when you mention interstate commerce, Oregon can't pass a law that interferes with interstate commerce, driving a truck from Oregon to Washington or Washington to Oregon. 
But once the truck is in Oregon, if the state says we want to have a law on whether or not the trucks can idle or not, California has had one of these laws for a good long time. Do I think it's a good idea? No. But do they have it? Yes. Does it interfere with interstate commerce? No. I mean, they're talking about the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution, which says only the federal government can regulate interstate commerce. So if the state of Washington says you can't come into the state, that's interfering with interstate commerce. If they say once you're in the state, we're going to tell you what kind of fuel you have to burn and whether or not you can idle your truck. Apparently, that is legislatively within their control. Is it sensible to do it that way? Absolutely not. But I don't think it violates the Commerce Clause. It is a Thursday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Someone has a plan for illegal aliens. Back in the White House, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and begin the largest deportation operation in American history. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. You've heard me complain plenty of times, not just on a conspiracy theory Thursday, about the monkeying around with our election system that the Democrats, mostly Democrats, occasionally conservatives and Republicans do it too, but not very much. I mean, they wanted to go to vote by mail. They want to go to all these different systems. And why? Because I think their motivation is they found they can't really win in a square uh, a contest, a contest that's done by just a simple set of rules. So one of those ideas that I have disliked for a long, long time, although I think I'm about to learn some new reasons to dislike ranked choice voting, I've invited Catherine Gonzalez on, who is the Director of State Advocacy for Heritage Action. Catherine, welcome back to the program. How are you? Thanks so much. Uh, great to be here. I'm doing well. Thanks. Can you make ranked choice voting understandable to me and to the people listening to this show? Well, you know, ranked choice voting is inherently complex and confusing. So if we end this discussion today confused about what exactly ranked choice voting is, uh, we wouldn't be completely misplaced because the inherent process of RCV, or what we love to call it rigged choice voting, is a complex process that simply makes it harder to vote. Um, it allows voters to rank multiple candidates for a single office. This would result in some voters having to rank 12, 16 candidates in one race. Um, and then if that one candidate receives the majority of those votes, great. Works like any other election. However, uh, if no candidate receives a majority of those first place votes, with ranked choice voting, then that candidate goes to the fewest first choice votes, and that is eliminated. So this then becomes this adjusted system where voters who have not voted, uh, who have not ranked more than one candidate, their vote is simply cast out or what I would call disenfranchised. So it's a very complex process with a lot of problems, uh, and it simply makes it harder to vote. Okay, let, let's make it simple for somebody like me. If you've got three candidates, I realize we could have 16, but if we have three candidates, A, B, and C, so people rank them, and let's say uh, A gets the greatest number of votes, but not, what, 50%, then, then how do they determine where the votes for B and C go? Yeah, so then they will take the, the second, so if no one receives the majority of first place votes, then the candidate with the fewest of first choice votes is eliminated. So then it would go to two. And then they would see 
who, how many voters voted to rank uh, one and two and who got the majority out of those two. Well, the problem is, is that if I didn't rank all three, if I only ranked one candidate, my vote is no longer counted um, because of the ranking system that, that ranked choice voting uh, imposes. Well, in fact, it, it, it cheats me of the opportunity. If I walk into the voting booth and I say, I'm voting for A, I have no intention of casting a vote in favor of B or C, then uh, then I'm cut out of that opportunity, right? Because because they say, well, you, you, you say I just vote for A, as you said, and then A doesn't get 50%, A goes away or, or C goes, or the lowest one goes away. The lowest would go, exactly, that's right. And, in, and even in, and there was a New York mayor's race uh, in 2021 where they went through eight rounds of this, and there were more than 140,000 uh, ballots of voters that were thrown out because they had not completely ranked all of the candidate choices on the ballot. And so those voters, what, what the proponents of ranked choice voting might call simply, quote, ballot exhaustion, I, I call that disenfranchisement. Well, sure it does. And in fact, let me ask you, maybe you're familiar with this example, uh, a, a congressional election in the state of Alaska a couple of years ago, and 65% of the votes, as I remember the numbers, were cast for one of two Republicans. But the third candidate was the non-Republican, either an independent or a Democrat, and the Democrat ended up winning. Do I remember that one right? I believe so. And there's been multiple uh, examples of how ranked choice voting is failing uh, the process. In fact, in Utah, where they've had ranked choice voting at the local level, where it's a quote pilot program um voters are now saying hey we don't like this at all we've tried it we don't like it and in fact they're proposing a repeal in their legislature uh to end that pilot program and to ban ranked choice voting in their state so voters aren't happy with the process voters don't like it um alaska is another example where they've had statewide ranked choice voting um and now they have a ballot initiative to actually repeal Great choice voting from uh, from their election process. And, and then you've got Oklahoma and Missouri, which are starting uh, to consider bans on ranked choice voting or rigged choice voting. You've got South Carolina bill to ban it. And you've got, uh, what, a couple of other states that are looking at it. Wisconsin, I think, is one. I understand why one, I guess I understand why one side sees an advantage. But is there a partisan advantage to either Republicans or Democrats of having RCV? I think there's certainly been some studies out there that show that and that show that this uh, can result in, in left-leaning results in a way to, to co-opt um, the election process. Um, you have to keep in mind, too, uh, ranked choice voting, even if it's implemented, has a, a major uh, experience shift for the voter, right? And so New York, again, spent millions of dollars just in an education campaign uh, to help voters understand the new process. So I was Assistant Secretary of State in Kansas before coming to Heritage Action, and I understand the burden that's on uh, county clerks to a certain extent to administer elections, and they do such a great job across the country. Um, imposing a completely new system like ranked choice voting is, is not only uh, difficult to the voter, but also our administrators, um, and not to mention expensive. I'm talking to Catherine Gonzalez, who's a former Assistant Secretary of State. She mentioned Director of State Advocacy for Heritage Action. Is there a case to be made, since it does disenfranchise people, that this is unconstitutional, that while the states are allowed to have laws to regulate their own elections, and that's not decided by the federal government, 
Is this constitutional? You know, I'm not an attorney, so I, I perhaps will, will leave that, that question to, to attorneys, but I, I do think states have every right right now to proactively ban ranked choice voting from their state. And in fact, five states have already done that, um, Florida, Tennessee, Idaho, Montana, and South Dakota, where they proactively said, we're not going to have ranked choice voting in our state. And as you mentioned, um, about a dozen or uh, close to a dozen states are looking to introduce ranked choice bans, uh, voting bans this year. You mentioned some of them, but all the way from states like Wisconsin to Mississippi, uh, Alaska, et cetera. So I do think states have a real opportunity here to take action and proactively ban ranked choice voting in their state. Well, I'm glad to hear that, but I guess I just wonder, this is going to be the system by which some of the states make determinations. Does it apply to the federal elections like president? Um, yes, they have. In, I believe in some states have uh, Maine and Alaska have applied that to, to federal election, elections, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, they've tried it. But like I mentioned as well, you know, Alaska... Voters are already saying we don't want this in our state and looking to repeal. I, I would not be surprised if Alaska this year was successful in completely repealing uh, ranked choice voting altogether. I guess I guess it might tell us a lot if we knew who are the primary proponents of ranked choice voting and are they mostly liberal activist groups? Yeah, for the most part, they are. You're also looking at uh, quite a bit of uh, funding coming in from folks like Catherine Gell in Wisconsin and, and, and billionaires like John Arnold. Um, but, yes, for the most part, they are. You're seeing these nonprofits that quote, com, cl claim to be, you know, nonpartisan uh, testifying in committees. You can all see it uh, in, t in states where they've testified, like Wisconsin and others. Uh, you're also seeing this push for uh, what some call rental Republicans. Rent a Republican so you can gum up the system and game it. That's Catherine Gonzalez, who's at uh, Heritage Action. Catherine, thanks so much. You got the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.
A message from Lars. I'd like to apologize to anyone I've not offended yet. Please be patient. I'll get to you shortly. Who's next? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to get to your calls, but I've got to mention this. I mean, for the longest time, I've had people say, Lars, you're just being mean. Those people living in tents, living on the streets in the shanty towns that have been constructed, you know, out of stolen materials or cardboard boxes or whatever, they're not all bad people. Well, I, I think that's probably true. I mean, absolutes tend to not be true. If you say, this is always this way or this is never that way, that's usually a false statement. But consider this. Uh, the Portland Police Bureau announced they've made 14 arrests at a homeless encampment on private land. Two adjoining lots that have been the site of multiple shootings, dozens of makeshift tents, and open drug use, generating a lot of complaints from the neighbors. Well, one shooting happened January 28th. Two dozen shots were fired. Nobody hurt, thank God. Another shooting happened the evening of January 30th, in which a man was shot twice. I'm sure he went to the hospital and got first-class medical care at taxpayer expense. He survived, but sustained serious injuries. So, they raid the homeless camp and find... 14 criminals. So you find criminals and drug addicts and all that, and then tell me that people living on the streets are to be looked at sympathetically. I don't buy it. To your calls now on this Conspiracy Theory Thursday. If you want to join the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Let's go first to Arv. Hey, Arv, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hello there, Lars. Um, I just had a, uh, on this conspiracy Thursday, um, the statement or the thing that Multnomah County is trying to do with the uh, two EMTs or uh, two paramedics and two each paramedics. ambulance. Yep, and uh, many that, other uh, jurisdictions that, only require one. Yes, and, that, and that's that's just in private ambulance services. Is that right? Well, you, yeah, they're talking about Multnomah County has given the contract to provide private ambulance service in the county to AMR, American Medical Response. AMR says we can't find enough full paramedics to staff all our, our, all our rigs with two. We'd like to staff them with one paramedic and one EMT. And the county has said, nope, you come up to our standards or you're gone. Except there's no obvious company to replace AMR. So effectively, okay. uh, Multnomah yeah, County has set a standard that. that if it can't be met, the county ends up the, that means the the people who live in the county will end up with no ambulance service. So, so uh, my question is: I wonder who's pushing this agenda of of two uh, paramedics in every ambulance? Because Multnomah what county. I've seen happen over the years, yeah. yeah. What I've seen happen over the years is the fact that they push out private ambulance services and then bring in either city or fire department uh, ambulances that are part of uh, the... I, I have the uh, same FBI, suspicion, but FBI nobody U. will say that out loud. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. I suspect that's where they're headed. But, but the problem is, if the private ambulance company can't find the employees to do the job, is there any greater right. likelihood that a government agency... Government agencies are usually less effective than everybody else who does anything. I mean, the government could screw up just about anything it touches. So do I suspect that may be the case? Sure. Um, and, and would the county run short as well? Probably. So you I know, wholeheartedly agree with you, but what happens is, you know, you know what, what the government winds up doing, it exempts themselves from the, from the yep. same laws that they're true. asking private industry to live by. 
And what they get is the unions get more membership because you'll almost certainly have unionized membership, uh, unionized uh, state workers to provide those services. And the public will get worse service at a higher price. I think you're absolutely right. Let's go to Jeff. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I was curious about the the wind the wind turbine lease, you know, the, the in the sea. How, how do they secure a lease for a wind farm 18 miles offshore when that, that's international waters, isn't it? It's not even... Mm, not quite international. Look, we have different... There are different... I'm trying to remember. I don't have them committed to memory, Jeff. Forgive me. 12 miles is one limit. Another, I think we go out to up to 200 miles. So oh, right? clearly the, the federal government believes that it can lease those those waters and say these waters are for those so if that's what you're wondering i don't think there's a legal question about whether or not the united states has sovereignty out to a certain distance and i believe the distance might be 200 miles well because if you look it up it says international waters begin at 13 12 nautical miles 13.2 and and again it depends on the context because i can guarantee you that if you say well then russia or china could put an aircraft carrier 12 miles after it may be that for for naval maritime law is one thing but in terms of what the government controls and then the question is where exactly are they going to put them are they going to be more than 12 miles out or 13 miles out um i th i think when when they say we're going to issue these leases, I think they they believe they're within their legal rights. But I don't find that the biggest concern. My concern well, no, that's is, just... yeah. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Well, I was just wondering, like, so does does Oregon think then that they own the ocean waters within our borders? No, the federal miles the federal government has control of those waters, but okay. the, they give the states a lot of latitude. For example. The U.S. tax, the U.S. citizens own the, the underwater lands off of California. But when California tells the federal government, because they're a bunch of tree huggers, they say, we don't want you drilling for oil out here. There's a lot of oil and natural gas off California. There is even oil and natural gas, I, I understand, off Oregon. But they've said, but we'll defer to the states a lot. Doesn't mean they, they give the states absolute veto power. But if a state like California says, we don't want oil drilling off the uh, coast of California, that state has so many electoral college votes, they can pretty well tell the federal government, don't let it happen. Jeff, thanks for the call. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize. 
for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back from Lars Larson Show. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and I think I've got a good one for you. It has to do with windmills off the coast of the west coast of the United States, primarily off the coast of Oregon, and about Oregon's governor who's making people, trying to make people believe that this is some significant part of the region's energy future. Well, I think she's just one more Democrat trying to blow a lot of hot air up our collective skirt. So I thought we'd talk about it with Senator David Brock Smith, who represents Oregon's first district in the state Senate. Senator Smith, welcome back. Thank you so much, Lars. Appreciate so, the opportunity to discuss. Is this thing, Kate, uh, not Kate Brown, Tina Kotek, I mean, they're functionally the same, but she said yesterday, offshore wind is likely to play an important role in meeting our state's growing energy demand. Is that true at all? Uh, well, frankly, no, because the technology no, does not exist anywhere on the planet currently where they want to deploy these 18 and 30 miles off the coast of my district and Senator Anderson's district in southwest Oregon, especially in the harshest climate, but the depth is the most concerning thing. And so we as the Coastal Caucus have been pushing back against this uh, in engaging stakeholders, community members, um, our fishermen, uh, and Heather Mann has been doing a fantastic job of the Midwater Trawlers Association. Uh, in fact, we created a bill to keep Kate Brown from uh, back in 2021 to keep Kate Brown from directly working with uh, Boehm and engage the legislature, which then moved forward uh, and created the, the, the work group or an task force that, frankly, Heather is, is running right now. We were all, um, all of us Coastal Caucus members, and, and you know, Lars, the Coastal Caucus is the, the members that make up the legislative districts along the coast. Right. Were, were caught off guard by uh, Boehm's uh, announcement on the 13th. Uh, but we, we knew it was, you know, if it was going to move forward, what this does is it sets up a new 30-day comment period. We're in the process of drafting a, a letter to be used as a template. We'll get it out far and wide so that this is the 30 days that is critically important, and that's why I'm so happy for having this conversation today because we need that public engaged and telling them, no, we do not want this. Well, tell my audience in, in short form how they can get online and put in some public comments, because I think there are a lot of reasons not to like this, the economic impact on coastal communities, among others, and the, old, the whole idea that uh, apparently Tina Kotek sees it as sensible to start uh, plowing federal and state money into something that, as you point out, they don't have the technology for, they aren't likely to get it. And I, I also pointed out to you, and I pointed out to my audience, that we've just had four ma of the world's major energy companies that were all planning to build gigantic wind farms off the East Coast, and they said it doesn't pencil out. I mean, it would re require a ridiculous amount of money for every kilowatt hour that's delivered, it just doesn't work. And th these are big for-profit companies that have walked away from literally billions of dollars. And they said, we're going to take billion-dollar losses on, by walking away from this thing. It won't work. 
So it sounds like it's it's a it's a dead project already, except for some reason Tina Kotek wants to keep it alive. What's the real agenda that's going on? Can you tell? Well, well, I, I can tell you that um, because of our work and Heather Mann's work and our fishing and our collective voices, Lars, um, the call areas or the WIAs now, the wind energy areas, are 86, have been reduced by 86% of what BOEM originally proposed um, a couple of years ago. And so all of this work and the advocacy has just been incredible to push it back, which then makes your point even greater, right? Because they don't have the, uh, A, the technology doesn't exist. B, uh, they're 18 and 30 miles off the coastline, uh, which would then need to be, um, all that transmission would need to come ashore, which increases the cost. But since those wind areas are reduced, they aren't going to be even able to generate the, any amount of energy that they want. So I've just been saying the juice ain't worth the squeeze. But to your question, how do we get people engaged? Literally the easiest thing to do is just go to Google, go to, go to, go to Firefox, go to your, your, uh, internet browser and type in Boehm, Oregon, and that will take you, uh, to the Boehm website where, where Oregon's, uh, uh, section is. And then from there, they'll be able to find how to submit comments. And that's the easiest and quickest way to let your audience know. Be looking for my, um, our coastal caucus email will be blasting it out. It'll be on my website. Uh, legislative website. It will be on the um, the uh, our Coastal Caucus colleagues website to glean uh, what uh, kind of a template for for their uh, objections. And then uh, we'll also be pushing out information uh, from uh, Heather Mann and the Mid Midwater Trawlers and and getting that information out to people as well, so that they can. Their, and uh, by the way, BOEM is the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, B-O-E-M. So BOEM, Oregon, B-O-E-M, Oregon is how you search. But here's the thing I don't understand, Senator Brock Smith, and that is you've got a, a governor who I assume wants to associate herself with successful endeavors, although she's got nothing much to write home about in the first year, and she's hanging her hat on a project that proposes to take billions of dollars to spend or, or to build that will produce energy that is gigantically more expensive, I mean, just off the charts more expensive than energy we're buying right now. And you've got constituents who've seen their energy bills double since 2006. Many of them got a big fat whack in January with another gigantic increase in their utility bills. And, and Tina Kotek wants to be associated with something that isn't going to end up with windmills built. And they probably can waste a bunch of money getting to nothing built because the government's very good at that. So why is she doing this? Do you know? Is, well, she, is uh, she just clueless about this or what? Well, no, I believe there's two reasons. One, uh, she wants to, you know, coddle up to President Biden and his agenda because you never know what's going to happen in the next election, right? And two, uh, the Biden administration, the, so the, this California is ahead of us on this issue. Uh, they, their, their call areas or, or wind energy areas are much larger because they embraced it rather than uh, the fight that we have had against it uh, and have reduced ours dramatically, like I said, uh, reduced them by 86%. But yeah, in just a few weeks ago, um, the Biden administration dumped $426 million into California and Humboldt Bay. And so I think that possibly Governor Kotak is looking at a at some sort of payday, if you will, of federal dollars if, in fact, uh, they are able to move forward with this. But that doesn't entice 
myself or my uh, Coastal Caucus colleagues. And we're talking Democrats and Republicans on the Coastal Caucus that have been pushing back against this. Well, and so she's looking for a payday for a project that, if she was honest about it, will never be built, will never generate electricity. And if it did, the electricity would be so expensive, most people couldn't afford to buy it. Uh, but but if she can score some federal cash out of it, that's a kind of a uh, it's a very shallow kind of motivation. But Senator Brock Smith, I appreciate you coming on. That's David Brock Smith, who represents the first district in the Oregon Senate. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm glad to get to your calls in a moment. I got to tell you about what George Soros is doing in my business. He's buying the second biggest radio chain in America. What do you do when you're trying to take over a country? You seize the means of communications first. That's next. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. And now, this musical message to anyone who wants to indoctrinate our school children. Hey, teacher, leave kids alone. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program, and it's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get to your phone calls and emails here in just a moment, but I want to warn you about something that's happening. It involves a guy that we talk about from time to time by the name of George Soros. He is currently an American citizen. He was a foreign national for the longest time. He has decided to play a really dastardly role, and I mean that seriously, dastardly role in American politics. He seems to want to tear down the United States of America. And I say that because George Soros has funded some of the most evil projects out there. For example, he has funded the election of district attorneys all over this country, uh, he goes in and gives the campaign money or organizations associated with George Soros specifically have given the campaign money uh, so that DAs can run for office in various parts of America and then say, but I'm not going to prosecute certain crimes out of an interest of social justice or racial justice or some other kind of nonsense excuse for not charging criminals with crimes. Well, now we get to the inside baseball part. George Soros has decided to get involved in owning a massively big American radio company. It's not the one I work for, but it's uh, he's buying $400 million worth of debt in a company called Odyssey. And why is that? 
why if he's buying the debt would might that give him control because odyssey is in the middle of a chapter 11 bankruptcy and while i'm not a bankruptcy attorney or anything else i understand they're going through bankruptcy he has purchased about 40 percent of the company's debt which would be transformed into stock in the new company that emerges from bankruptcy well what does that mean well, that company owns about 200 radio stations around the United States of America, and some of them are talk radio stations. So you say, well, Lars, you have a dog in the fight. No, I don't have a direct dog in the fight, but here's my concern. In any kind of uh, adverse takeover of a country, I'm talking outside the United States, one of the first things that you might try to do if you were trying to take over a country is you would say, we're, we're going to control the means of communications. Well, he's buying this gigantic stake in America's second largest radio company, 220 radio stations nationwide. Now, he has to do this publicly because Soros Fund Management has bought $400 million worth of debt in the company. And uh, as a result, at the end of bankruptcy, sounds like he's going to end up a, uh, owning a substantial portion of that company. And I'm concerned about what his agenda is because of the other things he's been involved in. He's involved in an organization called the Drug Policy Alliance. He provides funding for them. They advocate for legalizing drugs in America, which has not exactly done people any favors. It creates massive problems. So I'm concerned about where that's going. We're going to be keeping an eye on it and then find out. Apparently, Soros and the Soros Fund are not commenting on exactly what their agenda is, but there it is. So. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our poll on X. You'll find the question brand new every day at Lars Larson Show on X. You'll also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. Let's go first to Jason. Hey, Jason, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks, Lars. Um, a little bit of a conspiracy theory. Uh, we're only getting half the story, you know, it seems like in the news lately. The St. Louis shooting, for example. Um, Yesterday. Is this yeah. guy a Hezbollah sympathizer? Is this, is this a, a sleeper cell? Is this, is this that 100% um, chance that Trump was talking about with the terrorist attacks that, that he's expecting to, to see? I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so at all, and I'll tell you why. Um, what do we know about what happened in St. Louis yesterday? Uh, I'm sorry, in Kansas City, Kansas City. So, uh, so you have a you are talking about the shooting that happened during the parade and sorry, celebration sorry, yeah. for the Kansas sorry, City yeah. Chiefs uh, yeah, after the Super Bowl win, right? Right. Okay. I'm sorry. So, so you have a shooting that happens when there's a large public gathering, and the police take three people into custody. Apparently, two of them are juveniles; one is an adult. And what we're told, because the police aren't saying, or I haven't seen anything in the last couple of hours um, uh, on the story as far as an update that tells us what was the nature of the dispute between these people that caused them to start firing a lot of shots. One person ended up dead. About tw I think it was 22 were said to be wounded as of last night. Today they said the number was 20, so that number is floating a little bit. Uh, but they said that four or five of them were really in very difficult shape, critical condition. And let's hope that all of them pull through. But what the individuals who were arrested in that case had to do with, you know, Hamas, why would you see a connection there? Um, it's a conspiracy theory. Okay. And I'm thinking that they're going to try to cover up the story. 
Um, it's similar to what was going on with uh, the story about the lady who walked into the church the other day and had Hezbollah scratched on her rifle. No, she had she had Palestine that was that was scratched onto the side of her uh, AR-15, AR-14. Okay. Um, the, the UN in Gaza that that that's propaganda as well. You know, well, now you change the subject to what to to what the UN's role in Gaza is. The UN's role has been to, you know, I guess, to put terrorists on the payroll, and they've done it very effectively. This organization they have called UNRWA, it has about thirty thousand people on the payroll, and the vast majority of them, I think it's it may be close to eighty percent of them, uh, identify with Hamas and identify with the terrorist organization. So basically. American taxpayer dollars, which fund most of the UN's operations and a lot of uh, UNRWA's uh, operations. And UNRWA is a weird animal all by itself because the UN has a high commissioner for refugees. And what does that guy oversee? He oversees all refugees on planet Earth where the United Nations, which I think is an evil organization, tries to help out people who are ref who are in refugee status. And then you say, does he do all of them? Well, everybody except the Palestinians who claim to be refugees. They're really not. They're just squatters. And, uh, and so they created, the UN created a whole separate organization within its ranks to do the refugees, so-called, in Gaza and in the West Bank of the Jordan River outside of the control of the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. Now figure that out. Why do, why do the Palestinians need their own aid organization and it's because they want to use un dollars to pay the salaries of tens of thousands of people who are allied with a terrorist organization called hamas now that doesn't make any sense to me and i wish we'd cut off every dime of funding to the united nations right now do i think that's likely probably not not until at least until we have a republican president and uh, and republican majorities in the house and senate but right now we're funding a lot of this terrorism that goes on in the Middle East. Does that answer your question? It sort of does, but I think it's propaganda that they brought up the fact that the UN is involved right after the UN was mentioning that the attacks were becoming outrageous. I think that... Well, you're, no, the response by Israel was outrageous. I don't think they... They, they may have officially said, well, we, we officially disapprove of the October 7th slaughter that took uh, more than 1,200 lives, but they're suing, I, I think they're saying that, you know, for PR purposes, they, the UN very much identifies with the thugs and the terrorists of the Middle East, unfortunately, and unfortunately, American taxpayers are paying for it. Jason, thanks for the call. Back in a moment, glad to get your calls on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. It's 866-439-5277, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. ask Lars if he wants to run for public office, like president. Do you know how much power I'd have to give up to be president? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. You know, when it comes to Hunter Biden, I've just absolutely no respect for that man, and not much more for his father, although his father hasn't, uh, I guess, fathered uh, children out of wedlock, uh, uh, got himself hooked on cocaine. In fact, 
I don't know. Joe Biden might actually seem uh, less like sleepy Joe Biden if he was on some kind of drugs. And for all I know, maybe he is. Maybe it's ADHD and he's suffering from that. But let's talk about Hunter Biden and about whether or not Hunter Biden's civil rights have been violated, which I find almost laughable. So I thought we'd get on Mar Mariah Gundiro, who is vice president, legal counsel with Advocates for Faith and Freedom. Mariah, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. You got to tell me how in the world is it that Hunter Biden's attorneys are claiming that a man by the name of Garrett Ziegler has violated Hunter Biden's civil rights? What are they talking about? Well, um, this this lawsuit, in my opinion, is is more about politics than it is the legal issues. They selectively chose to file a lawsuit against Garrett Ziegler because Garrett Ziegler happened to report on. A potential for a compromise involving Hunter by dad. And so um, I think this is just a, a political retribution. I, I don't think it's, it, uh, I think it's a frivolous lawsuit. And they're claiming that Garrett Ziegler unlawfully hacked into and, and, and stole Hunter Biden's data. But, but that's just not the case. Information has already been circulated across the internet. Um, Hunter Biden abandoned his laptop. Um, so Garrett Ziegler did nothing wrong aside from just reporting on information that is true and accurate. And just so people understand why Garrett Ziegler is the focus of this lawsuit, does it have to do with the fact that Ziegler used to work in the Trump administration for President Trump? Well, I mean, it's always, it's, you know, as an attorney, I, I can't say that for certain, but it's, it just seems kind of coincidental that they're filing this lawsuit against Mr. Ziegler um, coming up into an election year. You know, they, they they had this information a long time ago. They knew Garrett Ziegler reported on this a long time ago. And so for them to wait to file it now, it's, it's very questionable. Um, so I guess the public can draw their own conclusions. I guess the, the other thing I find laughable about this is, the laptop has been in the hands of the FBI since, I think, 2019. They had it for a considerable period of time before it generated the story that came out in the New York Post that got throttled by social media, including Twitter and others, who didn't want the American public to see the story about the laptop from hell uh, just prior to the 2020 election. So... You know, the information's been out there. The man who got the laptop originally, it was dropped off at his computer repair shop, as I understand the story. And uh, he, he, after a period of time, he ended up owning the laptop because Hunter Biden wouldn't come back and pick it up. And, and, uh, and, and then after it, it found its way into the hands of the FBI and uh, copies of the hard drive with uh, Rudy Giuliani and with the New York Post, um, then Hunter Biden's attorney said, well, it doesn't belong to our client at all. He actually asserted that it wasn't his laptop. Well, now he has since admitted, yes, it actually is my laptop. It's full of, you know, pornographic pictures of Hunter Biden naked, Hunter Biden taking cocaine, Hunter Biden with prostitutes. I mean, all kinds of things. It factors into a number of his cases, including his purchase of a gun. So uh, can we even say that for sure that Hunter Biden now acknowledges it is his laptop and the embarrassing pictures on it belong to him. Well, if if he allowed it to fall into somebody else's hands who ends up owning it, and, and then it gets shared with just about everybody, including the FBI and the New York Post, does he have any complaint at all? Mariah? Interesting how he kind of flips. Oh, can you hear me? 
Yeah, you dropped off for a moment, but you were saying. It's interesting how he kind of flip-flops argument when it suits him. In one form, he says, oh, the laptop is not mine. In another form, he says, oh, the laptop is mine. Um, but one of the one of the positions we do make is um, that when he did unlock the laptop, he, he, he abandoned it. But regardless of whether he abandoned it, our client simply just received copies of the external hard drive. He never actually had access um, access to the laptop. And the copies were made not with Hunter Biden's permission because it didn't belong to him anymore. It belonged to the computer repair shop owner. And he made copies and apparently shared them with other people. It was his information to share. Is there any legal case? I mean, as a lawyer, is there any legal case to make if you have, as they call them, compromising uh, pictures of him in compromising positions. I assume that some of the videos with him uh, sharing time, spending time with prostitutes and taking drugs and all the rest of that stuff. Does it belong to you anymore? And do you have any kind of privacy interest anyway, if you've allowed it to fall into somebody else's hands? Well, our, our position legally is, is no, that, that he abandoned his laptop. Our client never unlawfully accessed any, any type of data but another thing that we're also addressing as a defense is that um, our client has a First Amendment right to report on these matters. It's, it's very well acknowledged, and the Supreme Court has, has long acknowledged that reporters have a right to report on significant matters of public interest. And I think that this is one of those examples when um, reporters should be reporting on this issue. I mean, this is an issue that implicates the president of the United States and potential foreign compromise. So he, w our client was in his right reporting on this. And so there's no, no legal foul because, I mean, he, he'd already allowed all this stuff to fall into the public domain. And, and then if you say my rights have been violated, does he have to show he's actually, that his reputation has suffered some kind of harm that he can explain to the court? Wouldn't he have to do that as well? He would, and he would have to be, be able to trace it back to Mr. Ziegler, but he can't trace any injury to Mr. Ziegler because, like you said, I mean, he, he abandoned his laptop. The information um, was therefore no longer his, and many other people have been reporting on on these issues, on, on Hunter Biden and what was on his laptop, and he hasn't filed lawsuits against all of the other uh reporters that have reported on this he selectively chose certain people which i find again very questionable and and i draw the conclusion it's because those people are directly connected to uh to donald trump mariah thank you very much i appreciate the time that's mariah gondiro who's with advocates for faith and freedom let me grab this call from uh, gerald hey gerald welcome to the program what's on your mind well that for you i i keep listening to all this stuff going on about trump yeah. One thing I've always been curious about is what are the Democrats afraid of Trump? That Why he's going to get reelected. That he's going to get reelected. Yeah. They know he's going to get reelected, and that scares the pants off him. I know, and and so many people seem to write letters about it to the newspaper. Some of them good, some of them bad. But uh, I just don't quite understand. And uh, 
It's, I know it, they're afraid they, of it, but why, why are they afraid? They are afraid, Gerald, and we know a lot more than we know when he first became president. The Democrats, the FBI, the CIA, they all knew that when Donald Trump got in, that their power, their political power base, their ability to fleece Americans was going to be severely compromised by Donald Trump. They're scared to death of the guy because he's been outing these people for some period of time. We now know that both the CIA and the FBI were allowed to be politicized. And by who? Well, by some of the power, most powerful people in America, Barack Hussein Obama, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, and others. I mean, they are scared to death. When this guy gets back into office, I think some of them are going to be headed to jail. And at the very least, the reputations of the rest are going to be severely compromised. Gerald, thanks for the call. Back in a moment. Glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Donald Trump with a warning to Hamas at the Republican Jewish Coalition Conference. If you spill a drop of American blood, we will spill a gallon of yours. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you live on the Radio Northwest Network and always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I know I tell you all the time that I think government could screw up a good deal just about every day of the week. Consider this. There is a bill, a substitute Senate Bill 6304. This one's before the Washington legislature, although Oregon has its share of crazy ideas as well. And I was alerted to this by a truck driver who wrote to me, and he said, Lars, I'm a semi-truck driver. Can you imagine if they banned all semi-trucks from idling for more than five minutes? And we're not talking about when the truck pulls up to a stoplight or a stop sign. We're talking about when the trucker has to pull over, and as Sarge pointed out, no heat or air conditioning while I am parked for my 10-hour mandatory DOT break. Because you realize there's a point where truck drivers can drive a certain number of hours in the day, and it has to include all the hours that they are on the job. And that may be loading, unloading, a lot of other things. There's a point where you're not allowed to drive one more mile. I remember a few years, and in fact, there's a, even a limit on the number of hours you can do in a given period of time. Uh, it might be 70 hours. And when you reach that point, you pull over, you park, and you take a mandatory break. 
one poor guy called me up, and he was, I think, 30 minutes from home. And he thought he was going to make it to home, and he hit his hour's limit, and he literally had to pull the truck over. Now, he might have been able to get all the way home, but if he, if he got pulled over, and he was past that hour limit, and I think it was the hour limit for the week or whatever it is, 70 hours, the, the, they would have written him a massive ticket. So he said, I, here I am, 30 minutes from home. I should be able to drive on home. I can't. I have to pull over for a mandatory rest break, not for 15 minutes or 30 minutes. But what Sarge was talking about is this bill before the Washington legislature. And it's the greenies, as usual. The same people who want to take away your kitchen stove and take away your natural gas water heater. The ones who want to make every kind of burning of anything illegal. This bill says, under the bill, any person who owns, operates, or is in charge of a diesel-fueled commercial motor vehicle will be prohibited from allowing the vehicle to idle for more than five consecutive minutes at any location. And I immediately heard from a lot of truck drivers, this bill is now on its second reading, which means it's making some progress, sadly, and might actually become law. So I ask you the question on X. Should states ban truck idling? Now, California already has some statutes in place. This bill would take effect January 2nd of next year. And after it takes effect, if you are seen idling your commercial diesel-powered vehicle for more than five minutes in any location, you will be written a ticket of 300 to to $1,000. So, should states ban truck idling? I would vote no. You can vote any way you like. You'll find the question on X at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. And yes, they bring it to, they, they sponsor the X poll every single day. So it has nothing to do with the fact that the question is about trucks. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Yesterday's poll had a kind of an interesting result, a very decided result. Should the White House release the transcript of what is known as the elderly man with the bad memory? That would be Joe Biden. And I would say yes, and so did 98% of you. Only 2% of you said no to that question. And there's another, I found it an interesting element that's come up. Joe Biden apparently got severely angry about the fact that the report from the DOJ, the one that looked at his theft of classified documents, and it looked at whether or not there should be charges, federal criminal charges brought against Joe Biden for violating the law, a crime that he admits he committed. He admits that he willfully retained classified documents, retained them for, in some cases, decades, that he disseminated some of those classified documents to people who had no classified, you know, no classification to be able to read or, or possess those documents, and yet he shared them with his biographer and God knows who else. But the thing that apparently made Joe Biden the most angry was that he had been described as an elderly man with a bad memory. So he did the crime, but they don't recommend prosecuting him because the special counsel in this case, Robert Hur, had said, if you put this case in front of a jury, the jury is going to look at the defendant as an elderly man with a bad memory. And one of the things that got Joe Biden, the hottest under the collar. And he said things publicly. He said things behind closed doors. He said, how dare they bring up the death of my son, Joe Biden, or Bo Biden? 
And it's funny because right now the White House is trying to decide whether or not to release the full transcript of the interview that Joe Biden did with the special counsel, where he sat down and talked to him. Because one of the things you find out, Joe Biden, you know, who claims today that he can't recall a single time when his memory has ever failed him. And, uh, you know, it's like an old joke. But here's the problem. He didn't, uh, the special counsel didn't bring up his son, Bo. They were talking to President Biden about uh, how he was working on his memoirs. He had a private apartment where he was talking to the guy who was writing the biography for him, the ghostwriter. And Joe Biden brought up Bo Biden to the special counsel. So Joe Biden brings the subject up and then later gets angry at the special counsel because he blames the special counsel for asking him questions about his dead son, Bo, when he's the one who brought the subject up. He just didn't remember. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host... My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you and live on the Radio Northwest Network serving the Pacific Northwest states, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, and doing it with honestly provocative talk radio on a daily basis. If you want to jump into the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every day. And don't forget about First Amendment Fridays as well. 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I told you the other day, that the Secretary of Homeland Security under Joe Biden, that is Alejandro Mayorkas, um, was impeached. And that was the first time that a presidential cabinet member has been impeached since 1876. The problem is it was largely along party lines, and Democrats said, no, we don't think Mayorkas did anything wrong. We don't think he's left our border wide open, allowed 10 million people to invade our country, uh, violated the law, lied to Congress, any of that. And one of those who did that was Marie Perez. And I thought we'd talk about it with Joe Kent, who plans to replace Marie Perez in uh, the Congress. Uh, he's running again. 
and I think he won the first time, but this time he has to really win. Retired Special Forces warrant officer and the gold star husband of fallen senior Navy Chief Shannon Ken, who was murdered by ISIS. Joe, welcome back. Hey, Lars, thanks for having me back on. I'd like to know what you think of uh, Congresswoman Marie Perez's vote against holding uh, Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas responsible for what he's done. Well, it's definitely a moment where the Democrats show us exactly where their heads are at. I mean, everyone knows that the border is wide open thanks to Joe Biden's policies. Marie Perez voted to leave the border open against securing the border. And now that the Republicans are actually holding Mayorkas accountable for the 10 million illegal immigrants, for the 118,000 fentanyl deaths because of the open border, Perez and the rest of the Democrats go to defend Mayorkas. So they're actually saying, you know, not only is the border not an issue, they are saying they fully support this policy. They support the, the 10 million illegals that have come into the country. They support the fentanyl overdoses. And I was just down at the border just south of San Diego. And what I saw with my own eyes, the amount of foreigners coming into our country, absolutely alarming, like nothing I've ever seen before. So, you know, I talk to people all throughout the district all the time, and, and I can't go to an event without someone telling me their personal story of how the fentanyl crisis has affected their lives. And so to see Perez just turn around and vote to support Biden's policies and then vote to defend the architect of this, I mean, it's not even a crisis because they've deliberately planned this. It's just a slap in the face to the people of the district. You know, Joe, I'm talking to Joe Ken. By the way, Joe, where can people find your campaign and help it out? Yeah, please go to JoeKentForCongress.com. I, I, I got an email the other day from a guy who said, Lars, you're shooting at the wrong guy. It's really not Mayorkas. It's Biden. I said, well, I understand that Biden gave him his marching orders. But, Joe, if when you were in the service, because you had a lot of, you had a couple of decades uh, in the United States military, and you were a special forces warrant officer, if you got an illegal order from a superior were you supposed to carry out that order? Absolutely not. I mean, Mayorkas is carrying out unconstitutional and immoral orders. I mean, th the invasion of our southern border. And look, I, I think this should be a lesson to everybody who's part of this government right now. I mean, if you're facilitating people coming into our country illegally and the fentanyl is killing American citizens, th the day of reckoning has to come. I mean, it, these are unconstitutional and illegal orders, and people should be standing up and coming out as whistleblowers against them. And I, I agree we should eventually impeach Joe Biden for this. I, I wish it would have happened a long time ago. But Mayorkas is the architect of this he is the operational commander of this entire crisis well and in fact what i answered back to that guy uh, when he who asked me that question i said look biden's certainly guilty of wanting this to happen of promising it as a campaign promise when he was running for president saying he was going to welcome people at the border okay he did that he could say to a, to anybody who's in that job clearly mayorkas will do whatever he's told to do uh the person who's given that illegal order could say boss I ain't going to do it. It's illegal. I'm not going to lie to the Congress. I'm not going to lie to the American public. I'm not going to violate federal law. All things that he did. And he can say, you can either change the order or you can find somebody else because I'm not going to do it. And that's true not only for people in uniform like you were or for my ochres who's in a federal government job. It's true for anybody in the private sector, too. Your boss comes to you and says, hey, I want you to do something illegal or immoral or wrong. And you can say, well, my boss told me to do it. I was just following orders, which didn't go over too well at Nuremberg. And it shouldn't go over too well when you say, well, my boss told me to do it, so I did it. You should stand up and say, I'm not going to do it, boss. You can fire me, but you can't make me go out and break the law and lie to the American public. My orcas apparently felt otherwise. And I think you ought to feel the penalty for that. 
Absolutely, and I'm glad the House Republicans impeached him. And look, every single Democrat lawmaker, they should be feeling the consequences for this, too, because we've had three years now. They can't say, oh, we didn't know what the policy was, we didn't know what the effect would be. They've seen the fact that Americans are dying every single day because of the fentanyl crisis. Marie says that no one, she, this is a direct quote from her, that no one loses sleep at night because of the wide open southern border. Apparently she's not talking to anyone in the district, because I talk to people all the time who are personally affected by this. And so this is at the feet of every single Democrat who has voted to support this and to fund this and we're just getting started with my orcas biden's going to go down and we have to have accountability for the rest of these lawmakers who have facilitated the invasion of our nation well and i think people should understand that while most of the attention is on the massive numbers of illegals that you're seeing in new york chicago philadelphia dc and places like that and down at the border at shelby park and eagle pass texas that this is happening to a smaller degree in in places like oregon and washington and when you see hospitals near the border that are saying, we're closing our emergency room, we can't operate it, we have been, you know, uh, we have been submerged by this tsunami of illegal aliens. And if you think that isn't happening at a different scale in places like the Tri-Cities and Spokane and Seattle, I think you're mistaken. You're going to see additional financial weight. And when you show up and say, why is it I show up at the emergency room and, I, and my family member has to wait five or six hours? because it's overloaded and why isn't it staffed better because you've got this huge number of people who've come in who have no health insurance coverage until you know until states like oregon and washington hand them medicaid and you say so your tax dollars are paying for their health insurance but until then you're paying for it by what you know by having your hospitals buried in this and when your kids say mom dad you know the classroom is so crowded we've got all these kids in there and where do they all come from well Guess what? Joe Biden invited them and their families. It's mostly fighting age males, but there are also some, a lot of kids as well. And they're going to end up in American communities. And when that overloads the schools, I'm going to say don't vote them another dime. They, they and their politicians agreed to make this happen. Joe, remind people again where they can help out your campaign. Yeah, please go to JoeKentForCongress.com. Anything people can contribute is going to help us uh, flip this seat and secure our border. Joe Kent, who is running for the 3rd Congressional District to replace the Democrat Marie Perez. In a moment, I want to talk about plastic shopping bags. I know, we haven't talked about it in years. We fought the battles way back when, when they said, we have to ban these plastic shopping bags. They're evil. We have to save the planet. I'm going to tell you a story about what happened in one big state when they banned those plastic shopping bags statewide. And they said, we're going to reduce the amount of plastic waste that goes to the landfill. And guess what actually happened? I'll tell you. Coming up in a moment, and your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. 
So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Some solid advice from Senator John Kennedy. Look, if you hate cops just because of cops, the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you. You know, uh, Tina and I have taken a trip to the grocery store tonight. We do that about once a week, and we usually go together. And, uh, you know, I push the cart and I carry the bags and all that good stuff. But when we get to the checkout stand, I know one of the things that's going to come up, and usually we're just about as angry about it as the checker is angry about it. They say, yeah, they got rid of those nice plastic shopping bags that used to be so handy. You know, the thin film ones, the ones that are largely made with, I think it's called ethane gas, that is a byproduct of drilling for natural gas, and it's a byproduct they used to just flare. They'd burn it. And instead, in America, there became an industry, a pretty good-sized industry, for making plastic bags. You say, how many people could possibly go to work uh, making these thin-film plastic bags? And the answer was, a couple of years ago, 5,000 people in America work for companies that make those bags. Except the environmental greenies out there have decided these bags are terrible while they end up in the ocean. Well, maybe overseas, certainly not in the United States. In the United States, most garbage goes to landfills. It doesn't end up in the ocean. Now, in other parts of the world, there's a lot of plastic pollution that's in the water. But if you go out and take a look at the people who actually made lists of where does most of that plastic pollution come from, an awful lot of it is fishing nets that not in this country, but in other countries, when the fishing net gets damaged enough, they just cut it loose and let it float. And does it probably kill sea life? Absolutely. But in the state of California, I thought this example was great. Because 10 years ago, 2014, state of California said, we're going to save the planet. We're banning those thin, disposable plastic shopping bags. Now, I want to stop for a moment. They call them disposable but the fact is, is that every single one of those bags I've ever got got at least two uses, sometimes three or four, because they're incredibly handy to have around. Bring them home from the grocery store. They were a convenient way to carry your purchases. They didn't get wet if it was raining and fall apart like paper bags do. And then you could use them again and again and again. And not to be too graphic, but uh, if you have a dog or two in your household and you have to pick up on the lawn, they're handy for that as well. I kept that as clean as I possibly could. But what California said, we will get rid of these plastic shopping bags. We will cut down on the amount of plastic waste that goes to the landfill. Really? Guess what they found out? When they passed the ban, California was at that point putting 157,000 tons. That's millions of pounds of plastic waste. 157 thousand tons of plastic bag waste was going to the landfill and what was true 10 years later well the amount of plastic waste that was going to the landfill had gone from 157,000 tons to 231,000 tons in other words it went up almost 50 percent and even when you take a look at the changes in population 
the amount of plastic waste going into the landfill before the plastic bag ban, about four tons per 1,000 people. And 10 years later, it came out to almost six tons. It had increased again, almost about 50%. And why? Because when they got rid of the and banned the thin disposable plastic shopping bags, they replaced them, the stores did, with thicker plastic use, single use bags, and they made the problem worse. Uh, and this happens all the time. The Greenies have a policy. They say, we want to do things a different way. We're going to save the planet. And their different way usually turns out to be worse. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you're a naysayer, I'll put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. And you can vote in our poll on X, brand new question every day. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show on X, also on our website at LarsLarson.com. Let me go to Al. Hey, Al, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, so the former governor in Oregon passed the uh, ban the bag law, and I remember when we got rid of our thin plastic bags and they were replaced by the thicker bags. I put a caliper to the to the bags. The new bags are four times thicker. That means each bag has four times as much plastic as the ones that they replaced. That is absolute liberal mindlessness. It is. And, and then when they, in many states, they say, look, here's what we're going to do. Uh, when we t make the, the, uh, the companies go away from the thin plastic bags and they replace them with the, thi the thicker plastic bags, Walmart has done that. Uh, they say, oh, and you can charge every customer 10 cents for the bag. In fact, we're not going to make it optional. You must charge every customer. And Al, I got to tell you something. That one really gets under my skin because if I go to a store and I buy something, that is a transaction between the store owner and me. And I resent the government getting into the middle of that because I have a feeling most of the merchants, I mean, I'm sure that some of them are glad to get 10 cents a bag. But how did we get to the point where the government is ordering a company? You are not allowed to give this bag to the customer free of charge. You'll work the chart, the costs into the rest of your uh, operations. So the bag is going to get paid for by the customers one way or another. No, you must charge the customer an extra 10 cents. So now I get the che checker. Most of them seem embarrassed to do it. They say to me, Oh, how many bags are you going to use? And I'm sitting there with a whole belt full of groceries that are on that, you know, the, the sliding conveyor belt. And, and I look at them and I think, what am I, some magician? Like, I've got this stack of groceries, and you want me to estimate how many bags I'm going to use by the time I'm done bagging them. And I say, well, uh, six. You know, or you just give them a number so that they can punch it in and charge you an extra 60 or 80 cents or a dollar. And all of this where the company would be, I'm sure, happy to say, if a customer buys something from us, put it in a bag and tell them thank you. And then you get a, a retail clerk, and I kind of feel sorry for them. They're caught in the middle saying, do you want a bag? Because they know that some of their customers are going to say sure. Some of them are going to gripe. Uh, I don't tend to gripe too much about it to them, but I'll gripe about it to you. Why should they have to ask me, Number one, do you want a bag? And, and the under, unspoken comment is, and we're going to charge you for it because the government says we have to. Should the government be that involved? No. Hey, I'm grateful that I can still get the paper bags because I use them to start my wood stove every night, and I save them all year long, and I have them the winter time. That is a fantastic way to do it. Al, thanks very much. You know, that's one of the reasons, because even though sometimes I disparage 
the uh, daily, what I call the daily dead fish wrappers, which is the newspapers of America, because almost all of them have adopted a liberal editorial point of view and a liberal news coverage point of view. So when you read the newspaper, you feel like you're reading a document from the Democrat National Committee. But one of the things the newspapers were handy for, I remember when there were times I'd have an entire cardboard box full to the top and overflowing flowing with newspapers. And we would use it to start, uh, at the time, our wood stove or our wood fireplace. And now, good luck trying to find any newsprint. The stuff is just not available. But just so you know, the numbers are from California. They banned disposable plastic bags. Don't let it happen to you if it hasn't happened already. And they said, we're going to cut down the amount of plastic waste. This is one of the things I'd like to see done with every single greenie policy. When they come to you and say, we're going to save plastic waste from going into the landfill, measure the effect 10 years later. If they didn't achieve the thing, that the goal that they were setting out to do, then you go back to them and you say, it didn't work, take back the law reverse it make it back the way it was or better yet don't do it at all 866-439-5277 send your emails to talk at larslarson.com and you're listening to the radio northwest network the lars larson show Another strong take from President Biden on AI and the weather. Helping web tech, the web, web, te web telescope. My God, what is this? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly. we got to talk about what's going on on Capitol Hill right now, because I'm reasonably sure that Mitch McConnell, who's never been my favorite member of the United States Senate, he and his team in the Senate seem to specialize lately in passing bills from the Senate uh, that are not going to go anywhere at all in the House, which means the question comes to me, why Why would you do it at all? So I thought I'd talk to Alexander Bolton, who's a reporter with TheHill.com. Alexander, welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. What is going on over there where they pass a border bill that was laughably outrageous, and you say, but the Republicans support it in the Senate, and it's dead on arrival in the House. And now the same thing may or may not be true of the Ukraine aid, although it looks like Speaker Mike Johnson has said, we're going home. We're going into recess. Uh, we're, we're not going to look at that thing. It has nothing. It doesn't address American border uh, security. So uh, uh, is the Republican job just to agree with Democrats in the Senate and then uh, pass through bills that aren't going to go anywhere and become laws? Well, where this all started is Kevin McCarthy. You remember him, right? The old yep, speaker that said way back in September that any funding for Ukraine had to be, you know, paired with with some border reform, some border security. And um, the the House uh, passed a bill in May of 2023 called the Secure Our Border Act or Secure the Border Act. It had a lot of strong reforms in there: E-Verify, Build the Wall, Remain in Mexico policy. Um, certainly some strong reforms there, but those reforms are never going to pass when you have the Democrat in the White House and the Democrat in control of the Senate. At least that's the argument that Mitch McConnell has made to his fellow Republicans. So he said, let's negotiate, let's get some border reforms. And the uh, the bill that he had J James Langford, the Republican from Oklahoma, put together, um, that took four months to negotiate. And it got the endorsement of the National Border Patrol Council, which is, you know, an organization that endorsed President Trump. 
in, in the past elections, and it also got the endorsement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, got the endorsement of the uh, Wall Street Journal editorial page. And so, you know, McConnell made the argument, look, um, it's, um, it's better than nothing. And by the way, you know, some of these asylum reforms in the bill are exactly what President Trump asked for when he was facing his own uh, border crisis, not nearly as bad as today's uh, back in 2019. So really what this comes down to is uh, Donald Trump made it very clear to the Republicans he spoke to, and I've spoken to them too, you know, he didn't want to give Joe Biden a win here. Now, was this Senate bill, did it go as far as the House bill? Not at all. But McConnell said, look, we have um, divided government here, and so, you know, this is what we could do. And, um, you know, he, he, I sat down with him in his office yesterday. He thought that border deal was a huge success. Um, of course, you know, it didn't even pass the Senate because, um, you know, there was a backlash in the Senate Republican conference. They were upset about not being able to offer amendments. They had a bunch of reasons, but it didn't even pass the Senate. Now, this Ukraine funding bill, it did pass the Senate. It got 70 votes, got 22 Republican votes. Um, what's going to happen in the House? I mean, Speaker Johnson says he wants to add border reforms to it, but, you know, that kind of, that's taking us back to September. I mean, we've, we've been there, done that. So um, if he wants to kill the bill and not bring it to the floor, he can try to do that. Um, will he face a discharge petition? Could Democrats force action on the measure? Maybe they can. We'll see what happens. Well, I guess the biggest objection I had to it, and you tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, from the outside, as somebody who doesn't work on Capitol Hill, I looked at that thing. And Langford, Senator Langford kept saying, hey, wait, don't believe the stuff on social media that's saying that it's going to institutionalize a large number of illegal border crossers every day. And then the details, he said, don't believe what they're saying on social media. Uh, you'll see it in a while. And they kept it under wraps. And when they finally unveiled it, it was exactly that, effectively institutionalizing 5,000 illegal entries by illegal aliens into America every day. That that that's a non-starter, isn't it? Well, I mean, you know, you're characterizing in a way that the, the you know the critics who want to think this bill have characterized it, and so, you know, is is that true? What you said, you know, it's a little bit hard to to know exactly. Now, what they're talking about is that the president's uh, emergency powers or the secretary of homeland security's emergency powers to shut the border would only kick in once you have 4,000 uh, migrant encounters uh, or a day, and that's a lot. But that's not to say that all those migrants are just being let into the country. What they're, what they're, they're, we're all, they're all being processed. That's essentially the, the limit of how many folks can actually be processed at the border. The problem right now is there's so many people coming across that we can't even process them, and they're just being let into the country. It's just out of control, understaffed, not enough money, not enough equipment. This would have basically at least gotten, you know, 4,000 people a day processed, and the point was to give them kind of speedy adjudications as to whether they had a legitimate asylum claims or not. Most of them don't. Ninety percent don't have legitimate asylum Right. Claims. So do, does that mean, Alexander, just to interrupt, does that mean that 3,600 of them would have been turned back and sent home? Because I, I don't get that impression from the Biden administration that they're sending the vast majority of these people home. Well, see, and that, I think, is where the, the, the proponents did a pretty bad job presenting the bill. They kind of left that question open, and they didn't really answer it. Now, Lankford, you know, he says that they, you know, the idea was that they would be processed immediately, quickly, uh, you know, within, you know, if not immediately, within a few months, as opposed to a few years, as we're seeing now. 
and turned back. Now, I think where the critics of the bill did have a point, they said, yeah, right, we don't, we don't believe it. And we don't believe that Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas are going to, you know, we're going to put in place a system that will turn all these people back. And they well, may have because if, if they're here a few months, Alexander, and you say, okay, we're sending off in a few months, we'll decide your case. We're probably going to tell you no, in all honesty. You don't have a legitimate asylum claim. You don't meet the minimum requirements of the law for asylum or refugee status. But go off to some other city, probably a sanctuary city, but come back so we can kick you out of the country. Aren't we, isn't it the simplest thing to say, I'm going to be skeptical that any of those people are going to come back? Well, and that was one of the questions that were, you know, that was presented and that was debated. Uh, so one of the proposals is you'd be giving these, um, uh, you know, these migrants cell phones and they'd have, there'd be caseworkers that they'd have to check in periodically. But, you know, we've seen ankle bracelets or ankle uh, bracelet monitoring devices, you know, been tried in the past. They haven't worked. Um, you know, how quickly would they be adjudicated? Um, would they be, uh, you know, turned back, you know, within days, within hours, within weeks, within months? A little bit of that was kind of, you know, up in the air. And so I think that's why, and the reason it's up in the air, because a lot of it depends on how the administration implements it. And so the critics say, we don't trust Biden to implement this correctly. The opponents said, well, okay, but if, if Donald Trump wins the election, this will give him tools to actually, you know, deal with this problem. And I think even if Trump wins the election, you know, this this border may still be an issue, and it may not be so easy to fix because it's understaffed, it's underfunded, and these folks are, it's like a fire hose coming across the border, and we don't even have the personnel to, to deal with it. I think that's why the National Border uh, Patrol Council endorsed it, because it would provide more staff, more money to deal with the problem. It was not, a, it was not what the House Republicans were talking about. It wasn't H.R. 2, but it was, I think, at least from McConnell's perspective, and from the National Border Patrol Council's perspective, an improvement over the status quo, which is just do nothing, uncontrolled border. And does Biden have, you know, does he uh, deserve blame for that? Absolutely. Will he get hit hard in the election? Absolutely. But was Trump right to sink this bill, to deny Biden a victory? A lot of Republicans think that was dumb because it would have actually helped alleviate the problem, and Trump could have still run against Biden on on uh, border yeah. security, unless un Biden on border security. unless Joe Biden says, "Hey, your own guy signed off on up to four thousand or five thousand per day, and we've got that, so he's just as bad on the border as I am." Alexander Bolton, who's a reporter for the Hill dot com. Alexander, it's a pleasure. Back in a moment, I'll get you your phone calls and emails. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and you're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. 
Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. The upcoming American elections promise some provocative politics, but be forewarned. The green agenda may lead to some extreme rhetoric. Die, gas pupper! So prepare yourself by listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network. It's a pleasure to be with you on what we call Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Our poll on X today, should states ban truck idling? Washington State is considering it. There is a Senate Bill 6304. 6304 is a piece of legislation that would simply say if you're driving a commercial diesel-fueled truck in the state of Washington, you may not idle it in any place for five consecutive minutes. If you do, you chance getting a $300 to $1,000 ticket. And I'm getting calls and contacts from truckers who are saying, how am I supposed to keep the stuff that's being refrigerated cold while I'm sitting there waiting to unload the load at the local Winco or Fred Meyer or other grocery store? How am I supposed to sleep in my truck in the sleeper if I can't run the engine that provides the power so I can cook a meal and uh, maybe stay cool in the summertime, warm in the wintertime? There don't appear to be uh, clear answers to that. But Senate Bill 6304 currently before the Washington legislature would propose huge fines up to a thousand dollars against truckers who have the temerity to burn their own diesel in their own truck to supply the power you can't do it for more than five minutes to your calls now let's start with gary in bremerton hey gary thanks for listening on the radio northwest network and talk radio 570 kvi what's on your mind oh thanks for a great talk show again Lars. Um, yeah, I've got a solution to the border issue and plastic bags, as far as that goes. But What is it? I think, uh, well, as far as the border, you could use something that's been used a long, for a long time, probably done could be done very quickly, and that's mine the border. Put up a big sign, skull and crossbones, and ton, tons of languages, just like I get all my medical papers and everything has, you know, 20 different languages. Um, and you could do it in the water, just mine, mine the whole thing until you can get the wall built. Um, and, and then you could remove them. So, you know, you could recycle them. They like to recycle. Uh, as far as recycling, the plastic bags I solved for myself. I went online and bought uh, 10,000. You can buy them, and you can be surprised how many you put little I, I bought a couple of thousand, and I think it cost me two, yeah. 20 bucks. And and now yeah. I have uh, thin, pla thin plastic bags. Now, the mine idea is interesting, but, Gary, and I've heard it before, but tell me this. First of all, if you've got a president who will actually guard the border, and that would be Trump, not Biden, because Trump will do it. Biden has shown us that he will not. Biden isn't going to put those mines on the border. And if Trump did it, I don't think it would be a good policy for him. But if he did it, what what are you going to do that on day one when some kids or a, a woman or a man step on those mines and are blown up and either critically you know, blown apart or killed by that? And that splashes across the news all across America. How long do you think that policy would work? Well, we know they're going to do that. 
use that propaganda, but how, how about all the people die of fentanyl? I mean, isn't that no, I, I, I get I get all that, but Gary, I don't think that's the way America does business. But it's an interesting idea, and I appreciate the phone call. Let's go to Henry. Hey, Henry, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? You go, Gary. I like your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I want things that actually work, though. And I, I think, I do. number one, they wouldn't buy the idea to begin with, but even if they did. I don't think the, so either, Lars. Yeah, but anyway. We, we would have a bunch of people in wheelchairs that we have to pay life for. Probably. But um, my my thing is, I hear this all the time, about we need to be like the Democrats. We need to mail-in ballot early. We need to harvest ballots we need to do all this stuff we i mean you know we don't we don't play like they do i mean republicans i they're foolish it's hard to be a republican at times when you look at oh my god they're going to fall for that again but anyway um, well, but i'm not understanding where you're going henry both you and i uh, in oregon or washington if you're a voter you're voting by mail you don't have any choice and, it was I, hate it. and I would love to revoke it i'd love to see it, How revoked. Do we do it? okay the way you do it, I guess, is put a ballot measure on the ballot and get a majority vote in favor of going back to, to in-person voting. But they will voting. always control the amount of votes that come I, in. I, it always I seems like there's that. that little tiny spot up in in Portland that controls all of eastern Oregon. You know well, what I mean? It's, but you it's, know that part it's, of the problem, hard. Henry... And I get Henry, it. I get what you're saying, Lars. No, but you can't, you can't get past the place that if it's King yep. County and Seattle or the Tri-County Portland area... They literally have the majority of the population in those two places. And so when you say Portland controls the rest of Oregon, Seattle and Metro King County controls the rest of Washington, that's population. And, and you can't get past it. You know, if you've got four and a half million people in Oregon and two million plus live in the Portland Metro, you can't complain. Well, there are just too many voters there. And there aren't as many voters in Harney County or well, in Spokane. Well, and that's Spokane not what I County. said, Lars. It always seems like they hide the vote there because it seems like, I mean, I work in Portland a lot, and rarely do I find people that I find are definitely, that don't think like I do as far as like... Go, go back to in-person voting where you have a chain of custody yes. of the ballot. Because when I voted yeah. in person, I they knew. I walked in, identified myself in the poll book, yes. showed ID, and voted. When you vote by mail, you, got, you, do, you don't know who's casting that ballot. You got to show ID to buy a pack of cigarettes. You got to buy, show ID to buy a bottle of beer, but yet you can vote any, you know, you, you don't even have to prove who you are. And watch the illegal aliens because Joe Biden is going to count on the illegal aliens to make the difference for him. Assuming the Democrats are crazy enough to put the senile old man with the bad memory up as their nominee this year. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com.
view the videos, and then let the 1031 Exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.